Well, I uh, always tell people they should bring somebody to church, um, and so I brought my dog Chance today. I'm, I'm not going to bring him out on the stage today to listen because he's tired. He's, he's, a, he's a golden doodle, so he loves people, so he has gotten so hyped this morning. We brought him in here while the band was playing, and he was singing with him. He was like, I was like, that's pretty good, dog, dog. Um, and, and, but he's tired, so maybe next week we'll bring him out here. He's learning the leash, and so sometimes I bring him and sometimes I drag him because um, he's having to learn. The leash is not an option. Anyway, has nothing to do with the message that I'm preaching today. Um, I, for me, and I don't know if you're like this, I'm sure everybody has something like this. I've got some memories in my life of conversations that I had 20, 30, 40 years ago that weren't life-changing. They weren't like one of those life-changing moments where I made the decision to do something that changed everything. It was just a weird conversation for a weird reason, and for the longest time, I had no idea why it happened. Anybody like that? You've got one of those conversations? Okay, four people. That's great. I just connected with everybody. Um, so, so for me, I can remember I was around 12 or 13 years old, and I had a crush on a girl. Um, she was weird, so that's not important. But I, I was having a conversation with my relative about her and the situation, and I told him, I never will forget saying this. I said, I just wish there was a way that I could know what people thought about me. And he said, no, you don't. And I said, no, 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 I do. I just wish I could read people's minds. I wish I knew what people thought. I wish I just knew. And he said, Perry, trust me, people are weird. He said, the same people that love you will be the same people one day that hate you. And he said, you don't want that. Now, I know what some of you are thinking, oh, it's there. but this is the 80s. Our technological breakthrough was Atari, all right? And now, now, toward the end of the 80s, we had Nintendo and it was Super Mario Brothers. Da, 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 da. Yeah, see, so how many of you played Super Nintendo and you took the cartridge out and blew on it? Because, yeah, you remember that? That's, that's ghetto right there. But that's, that's. And then in the 90s, though, in the 90s, we had this thing called email. And email was a way that you could communicate with somebody instantaneously you could let somebody know what you thought about them. And communication got a lot more direct and it got a lot more intense because you might not believe this, there was a time when you opened every single email that you got and read every line. Remember that? And so, so what happened is we used to have to get a pen and a piece of paper and write a letter and if we were mad at somebody, we could be super emotional. And by the time we wrote the letter, we felt better and we threw the letter away. But then when email came out, we could type it up immediately, hit send, and, well, just curious, how many of you would unsend at least one email that you've sent in your life? Yeah, it's okay. It's a second chance. It's okay to raise your hand. It's okay. It's okay. The rest of you just lied, and that's, that's fine. That's fine. Thanks for playing along today. After email, there's this thing called MySpace. Now, I didn't get in on the MySpace train. I didn't even know what that was. Everybody's like, have you heard of MySpace? I was like, I've heard of Star Wars, you know. And, but after that came Twitter, and after that came Instagram, and after that came Facebook. And do you know what? Today, you can know exactly what people think about you. And, and you can say anything you want to about anybody at any time. And so, in some ways, that's good. 
I mean, I'm, there's some good to it. Some people have said that social media has changed us. Social media did not change us. It exposed us. Because that's who we were the whole time, right? But, 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 somebody came up to Jesus one day, and they said, Jesus, what's the most important commandment? And Jesus, and that was, a, that was a kind of a loaded question because there were 613, and Jesus had to go through all 613 and kind of pick one. But Jesus refused to be put in a box, so he just picked two. And he said the most important commandment is love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. Now, the reason that's so difficult for many of us, because I'm just going to be very honest, very transparent. A lot of people in this room really do have a hard time loving God. And I get it. The reason you have a hard time loving God is because of what people have said to you who claim to be speaking on his behalf. You've been called something, you've been put down, you've been tagged, you've been labeled, you've been cast out, you're the prodigal. And so it's really hard to connect with God when you think God is PO'd at you. And a lot of us have a hard time. Jesus said love other people as you love yourself. And it's hard for us to love ourselves because at the end of the day, we know what we've done. We know what we've thought about doing. We know what we would do if we could get away with it. And so because it's hard for us to love ourselves... It's difficult sometimes for us to love other people. So how do we get past all of that? How, how can we get past that I'm having a hard time connecting with God and I'm having a hard time connecting with people? I'm glad you asked because that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to go through a bunch of scriptures, so I don't have a particular passage you can turn to. We're going to a bunch of scriptures, so you can just write these down if you're taking notes. Um, there are some popular verses in the Bible. There's some really, really popular verses in the Bible. And one of them is Proverbs 17. Now, you'll meet some people. Have you ever met these people that are so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good, and they go, all verses in the Bible are popular. No, they're not. No, they're not. There's a verse in the Bible that says, don't have sex with animals. Did you have to write that down, God? Did we have to write that one down? Have you ever seen that one in a Christian t-shirt? Huh? Hey, I can do all things if Christ restrains me. Don't have sex with animals? Is that on a t-shirt? Why is that on a t-shirt? It's in the Bible. So can we all agree that not all scripture is as popular as some other verses, right? So, so one of the most popular verses in the entire Bible, though, is Proverbs 17, 17. This says, a friend loves at all times. A friend, a friend. Now, when, when, when the Bible says friend, I'm talking about, do you have a, what I call a four in the morning friend? At four in the morning, you can call this person, and they're going to talk to you. They're going to listen to you. They're going to come bail you out. All right? No, no, you didn't have to point. They come bail you out or whatever. That's a four in the morning friend. And um, all of us have that type of friend or those kind of friends. And the Bible says a friend loves, not sometimes, but all times. Isn't it nice to have some people in your life that no matter what you do, no matter what you say, no matter how stupid it is, they're going to love you. How, isn't that incredible to have that? Oh, my gosh. I, right now, I've got that with my dog. Um, but, but a friend loves at all times, not sometimes, not when you're good, not when you're doing the right thing, but a friend. This is huge. A friend loves at all times. Now, Proverbs 17, 17, back during the time of Jesus, was super popular. 
um, the Hebrew children would have grown up memorizing Scripture, and many of them would have known the Proverbs, and Proverbs 17, 17 was like a hit song. It's kind of like if you're my age, if you're riding down the road and Billie Jean from Michael Jackson comes on the radio, within three beats, you're like, that's all I got. Sorry about that. But like you recognized it. Well, they would have recognized um, the the people during Jesus' time. Somebody could have just said a friend and and somebody could have finished it for them. Loves at all times. This, This was very common. They knew this. So keep that in mind. Keep that in mind. Then you have Jesus who at the age of 30 started his ministry. Now, I want to pause real quick and just kind of encourage some people. This has nothing to do with the message. It's just a side note. How many in this room are watching online are th- you're 30 or under? Raise your hand. Okay, no, no, raise it high. That's okay. I'm not going to pick on you. Okay, it's good. It's good. It's good. Good. All right, put your hand down. For those of you that raise your hand, do you ever feel any pressure from people older than you to have your life figured out? Like, what's your life plan? What are you going to do? What are you going to major in? And like you're, you're, you're 12, and it's like, what are you going to major in? What are you going to do? Okay, listen, if Jesus didn't have it figured out till 30, you've got till 30. <laughs> so if you're 25 and you haven't got it figured out yet, and people are asking you, what are you trying to do? Just tell them, I'm trying to be like Jesus. <laughs> Call me when I'm 30. Mom. Anyway, so probably just started some family tension right there. That's fine. That's fine. So, so Jesus started his ministry at the age of 30, and he called these guys to follow him, the disciples. Now, if you really examine these guys, it's kind of like the Island of Misfit Toys from Rudolph Red-Nosed Reindeer. I mean, these guys are not religious scholars. They're not experts. They're not, they're not who you would pick if you were picking a group of people to change the world. They were a bunch of ragtag ragamuffins that had, that, I mean, it was just like, why did you pick these guys? But for three years, Jesus did life with them. He wasn't on staff with them. He didn't like come in at nine and leave at five. I mean, they did life together. They walked together. They had experiences together. It was, it was the most amazing time of their lives. And then they get to this thing called, well, we call it the Last Supper. Now, they didn't call it the Last Supper because they hadn't read the Bible yet. So they, they didn't know. I mean, none of them got up and said, hey, guys, just want to let you all know this is the Last Supper. Because, like, if somebody announces that tonight at dinner, it's like, oh, crap, what is about to happen, right? We call it the Lord's Supper. They didn't call it the Lord's Supper either. They called it Passover. It was a, something they celebrated every year. In fact, they still celebrate the Passover in Israel every single year to celebrate the fact that God set Israel free from the land of Egypt. So they're at the Passover meal, and they're sitting around this table, and they're having a conversation with Jesus. And John, who was there, writes this, that Jesus said this phrase at the Passover meal. And this, listen, I read the Gospels for years and didn't see this. But Jesus said this in John 15, 15. He said, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. I've called you friends. Now, hold on for just a second. Proverbs 17, 17 says, a friend loves at all times. A friend loves at all times. In fact, I won't count to three. I want us to all say that together. One, two, three. A friend loves at all times. And then we get to John 15, 15. He said, I no longer call you servants. Instead, I've called you friends. So right there, Jesus 
He's telling his disciples, hey guys, here's what you need to know. I'm always going to love you. I'm always going to love you. Now that's a remarkable statement. Considering during that same conversation, he also told them, hey guys, tonight I'm going to get arrested and killed. When I get arrested, all of you are going to deny me and run away. And they all did what we would have done. No way, man. Jesus, I love you. I'm committed. Because at the table eating food with Jesus, it's easy to be committed. People show up with swords and spears and clubs. I'm like, peace out. You got this, right? Okay, I mean, I'm gone. So Jesus tells them, hey, I'm always going to love you, but I know you're going to deny me. And sure enough, after this, they went to the Garden of Gethsemane. And while they're in the garden and Jesus is praying in the garden, the people show up to arrest Jesus. And Matthew, who was also there, wrote this phrase down. He said, then all the disciples deserted him and fled. These people that Jesus, a friend loves at all times, and Jesus just said, I will always love you. And then they had the chance to stand with him, and they abandoned him. Now, why, did, why would you do that? Why would somebody do that? What's the, they did it for the same reason that maybe we do it today. If you're a note taker, I've got three, three possibilities that we could write down. Number one is fear. Fear. I think maybe the first reason they ran away was fear. Till this day, and I'm, I'm not making this up. People sometimes ask me, do you make your stories up? No, I tell truthful stories because I want you to know that you, you can't make this stuff up. Till this day, if I check into a hotel or if I come to your house and go to the bathroom, before I do anything, I look behind the shower curtain. <laughs> Is anybody with me on this? Oh, yeah, yeah. And here's why, here's why, here's why. When I was growing up, my dad thought that it was his calling in life to scare me. And so everywhere I went, he would scare me, he would scare me. So I never will forget, I was like 14 years old. I go into the bathroom, I'm getting ready to get in the shower. I got the dirty clothes hamper right there. I've got my shirt off, right? I got my pants down to about my ankles. You ain't running anywhere when that happens, right? And as soon as that happened, my dad threw open the shower curtain and went, woo! <laughs> and let's just say... um. I said it, then I did it, all right? And you can figure that out. If you don't know what that means, you can talk to the, your parents. They'll explain that to you. <laughs> but fear causes us to do weird things. Now, I'm convinced that at the table with Jesus, eating bread and eating great food, I could have said, you know what? I'm standing with you. But when the soldiers show up, the thing that runs through my mind is this. If I stay connected with Christ, I've got something to lose. My life. And so, instead of staying connected with him and possibly losing something, I'm just going to run away. Because if I stay connected to him, I'm scared of what will happen. Now, let's be honest for just a second. A lot of people in this room or watching online at some point have maybe turned away from God or ran away from God because we're scared 
of what will happen to us if we stay connected with Christ. I mean, we might have to change something. We might have to change a relationship. We might have to change a habit. We might have to change the direction of our life. And that's scary. And listen, I'm not judging or condemning. I get it. I understand the fear involved. But here's what we've got to understand. If, If I told you today, when you step into the lobby, there's going to be a man that meets you, and he's going to have a sharp object in his hand, and he's, he's going to come after you with a specific intention, you might have your guard up. But if I said that man was a surgeon, the object was a scalpel, and the intention was to remove a cancerous tumor from your body, you would be more open to that. That's what, if Jesus, listen, if Jesus wants to take anything from you, it's only because he wants to put something better in your life. God is a giver. God is not a taker. God wants to bless you. God does not want to curse you. And I understand what it's like to be scared if if I stay connected to Christ in this season, I might have something to lose when in reality, it's not that you have something to lose, it's you have everything to gain. Fear is a legitimate reason. The second reason that people run from Jesus or run from Jesus and I think the disciples did was inconvenience. Now, we live in the most convenient society that the world has ever known. Karis, my daughter, she's 11. We were having a conversation the other day, and she loves to talk to me about jobs that I used to have. And I was explaining to her that I used to work at Little Caesars, and that's why I hate the pizza pizza. I can't stand that. Um, But I used to work at Little Caesars, and she she said, Daddy, what did you do? And I said, baby, what I did was um, I would answer the phone and take the pizza orders. And she looked at me like I was from Mars. She said, answered the phones? I was like, yeah, baby. These things we had, it was called phones. And we had four in a row. And we had these little things. We would write things down. And and we would go make the pizza. And she said, why didn't they just use the app? (laughs) And you know, I mean, because today, if I could order a pizza right now, I'm not going to, but I could. I could order a pizza right now. Or the other day, we were backing out of a parking place, me and Karis, and um, the backup camera. Oh, my God. Thank you, Jesus, for backup cameras and cars. How many are with me on this? You got a back? I, I was backing up, and there was a car coming. I didn't see it, so my car screamed at me, and then it also slams on the brakes. Not too crazy about that, but it slammed on the brakes, and it prevented a wreck. And I was like, oh, my gosh. I said, Karis. What did we do before backup cameras? And she said, we probably just looked behind us. <laughs> I mean, probably just what we did. She's smart. Anyway, convenience. Now, we, I love convenience. I know you love convenience. There's nothing wrong with convenience. For the, for the apostles, there were times that it was simply convenient to follow Jesus. For example, when Jesus was feeding 5,000 people, with five loaves and two fishes, that was convenient to be with him. Because while they weren't the ones that did the miracle, they were the ones that got to participate in the miracle. And so they got some attention. So it was convenient to follow Jesus. It was convenient to follow Jesus when he was riding into Jerusalem on a donkey and everybody's screaming, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Super convenient to follow Jesus then. When he's being arrested and is going to be murdered, mm, not so convenient. How's that translate in today? Well, it's real simple. It's convenient to follow Christ on Sunday. 
It's not as convenient to follow Christ when we want to swipe right on Tinder. It's convenient to follow Christ on Sunday, but maybe it wasn't so convenient on Friday or Saturday. It's easy to follow Jesus when we're in town. Maybe it's more difficult to follow Jesus when we're out of town. And I don't want you to feel from me an ounce of condemnation or judgment because here's what I know about every single one of us. Every single one of us at some point in our lives have chosen convenience over Christ. It happens. And what's crazy, what's crazy is that many of us are known and defined and labeled by those moments. It's super sad. It's super sad. But that's one of the reasons they ran. And listen, if you've ever chose convenience over Christ, I get it. We've all done it. We've all done it. The disciples did it. Third, last but not least, is disappointment. I'm going to be very clear. The disciples were incredibly disappointed in this moment when Jesus got arrested. And here's why. The disciples thought that Jesus was going to set up an earthly kingdom. That he was going to be like a governor, an emperor, a ruler. And they were going to be like the 12 like vice presidents or whatever. And they were kind of going to get to rule with him or whatever. They had no idea that his plans were actually higher and greater, even though he had told them that the entire time. It's like they couldn't hear it. And so when Jesus gets arrested, all of their plans fall apart. And they're incredibly disappointed because Jesus did not become what they wanted him to be. Now... With all of that in mind, let me ask you this question, and, and I want you to be honest. Don't be fake. Don't be pretentious. Don't, don't think you have to have all of it together. I just want to ask you a question. Have you ever been disappointed in God? Yeah, absolutely. I have. Now, once again, church people always go, well, you sh- shouldn't say that. Well, it's not like he's surprised. It's not like he's like, oh, oh, mommy. Like, he's not up there saying that. You'll get that later. It's not like he's saying that. This is my favorite. People go, well, you know, in the book of Job, stop. Stop. If you don't think Job was pissed at God, you stopped reading Job at chapter 2. By the time you get to chapter 40, that guy is going off. In fact, God shows up and goes, hey. Calm down. Like in the minivan, don't make me come back there. Like that, God shows up and does that. All of us, listen, when my mom died at 11, I would love to tell you that I had faith and I believed. But you know what happened when my mother passed away at 11? I became angry at God. And if I'm going to be incredibly honest, it's something that I still deal with sometimes till this day and I'm 47 years old. Oh, you'll get over it. Mm. I hadn't found that pill, that drink, that prayer, that verse. Sometimes it just wells up. And I'm not saying you can't push it back down. I'm not saying you can't get past the moment. I'm just saying there there's some tough things to deal with in our life. There are people in this room that you have literally prayed to God, 
How could you let this happen to me? God, why did this happen to me? And if that's you, I want you to understand, I get it. I get it. It's what the disciples dealt with too. And when they ran, let me tell you something. They ran good. I mean, because if you're going to do something, do it all the way. In fact, John tells us this in his story. He said in John chapter 1, afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. Now, I want to stop real quick because I didn't realize this until I went to Israel a few times. Um, the Sea of Galilee is a northern area of Israel. Um, Jerusalem, where Jesus was killed, is like middle, like almost southern Israel. It took a week to get from Jerusalem to Galilee. So when the disciples ran, they didn't just run to the next street. They ran like a, I mean, if you're going to run a week away, that's running. I mean, they ran from Jesus. They ran from God. They're like, we are done with this. In fact, the Bible says it happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also called Didymus, <laughs> poor guy, Nathaniel from Canaan and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. I'll stop. Wait a minute. So they ran back to Galilee, which was where they were when Jesus called them. And then what did, what did Peter do before he met Jesus? He was a fisherman. So they went back to the place that they were, and they started doing the thing they used to do. Is that anybody here? We've all done it, right? You meet Jesus, and then things go a little south, and we go back to where we used to be, and we go back to doing things. Because, it, listen, it's just easy. The other, the other several months ago, I was at a restaurant. I was getting ready to leave. I was sliding out of my booth, and the waitress, she leaned across, and she just put her hand on my hand. She said, hey, you're, you're a pastor, aren't you? And I said, sometimes. <laughs> Listen, I could, I, I'm going to write a book one day called Bless Their Heart, and it's just all the conversations I've had. And she looked at me, and, um, and I was trying to be funny, and big tears welled up in her eyes. And she said, would you pray for me? And I said, I, absolutely. I said, um, what? What do you want me to pray for you about? And she said, um, she said, I'm an addict. She said, and I've been clean for seven months. And I stopped. I said, oh, my gosh. Seven months? You've been clean for seven months? That, I don't even know what you want me to pray for, but that right there? I said, give me a hug. And I just, I, mean, I was just so excited for her. And she started crying harder. And she said, I'm so thankful that you can celebrate that. She said, but all my family members and all my friends still say I'm an addict. And she said, I'm fighting. If that's who they say I am, why not just go back to those old ways? And I looked at her and I said, 
I know something about this. And one of the things I've learned over the past two and a half years is you are not who they say you are. You are who Christ says you are. And he says you are loved. He says you are forgiven. He said you are valued. He said you are chosen. He said you are special in his sight. And so don't let them define you. You let Christ, I'm preaching right there in the middle of Waffle House. I am on a roll, baby. But I get it. I get why she thought that. If people are going to say that about me, then why not just live that way? I mean, you've thought that about yourself, right? If people are going to say that about me, why not just live that way? And that's what the disciples are doing. And so in the, in the next verse, John says, early in the morning, after they had fished all night, because Jesus is like, if you want to go do that, go do that. Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. It's amazing how many scholars pontificate on why the disciples didn't know it was Jesus. It's not that difficult for me. If you are running from Jesus that hard, the last person you expect to see when you're running from Jesus is Jesus, right? This would be like, okay, you're going to run from God, so you're going to the strip club with your boys. You got a handful of ones. You're sitting in the corner. You got a big smile on your face, and your people asking you, hey, what do you hope to get out of night? I hope to see Jesus. Oh, okay. You've had a little bit too much Jack and Coke. I can see that right now. Like, you don't expect to see him there. The last person they expected to see in a place where they used to be doing what they used to do was Jesus. But all of a sudden, Jesus shows up on the shore. What's he going to say? I mean, because he could, at this point, he could just go off, call on a bunch of backslidden, hell-rotten pagans, can't believe you turned my, your back on me, you guys suck, you are sorry pieces of human trash, I can't, I mean, he could have said all of that. Some of us have heard that sermon before. But Jesus, Jesus chooses his words and his phrases very carefully. Standing on the shore, he asked them a question, but it wasn't the question. It was the first word in the question. He called out to them. Friends, haven't you any fish? Now, he knew the answer to the question question is not the point the word's the point you know why because he had just told them in John chapter 15 verse 15 that a friend or because I no longer call you a servant instead I have called you friends in other words he had told them at the table I will always love you I love you at the table, and I love you when you're running. I love you when you're near me. I love you when you're running away from me. I love you when you love me, and I love you when you can't stand me. I will always love you. Jesus, why in the world would you love us like that? It's very simple, because a friend loves at all times. So I don't know where you are 
in your walk with God, but I know exactly where he is in his walk with you. He is right beside you. He has not changed his mind about you. He is still, in fact, I think the overarching message of this entire thing is him saying, I knew what you were going to do and I never stopped loving you. Through your doubt, through your fear, through your hurt, through your disappointment, through your confusion, through your bad decisions, doesn't matter. Jesus said, I still love you. So I, once again, I don't know where you are today, but I know where he is, right here, waiting on you to just acknowledge his presence and step back into a relationship with him. Now, before we do the invitation, I thought, man, we need to sing a song in response about the goodness of God, how good he is, that he loves us based, but not, not based on our performance, but based on his character. So I want everybody in this room in an overflow to stand with me, and we're going to sing, and I want you to leave, I want you to sing, I want you to sing this song out like you mean it. At the end, I'm going to come back up and do an invitation, but I thought this would be the perfect, perfect opportunity for us to sing about the goodness of God. God, thank you so much that you choose to call us friends. Whether we're at the table or whether we're back in the place we used to be doing the things we used to do. Thank you that you call us friends when we run out of fear, when we run out of convenience, when we run because we're just flat out disappointed in what happened. God, you don't, you don't push us away. You draw us near. You are good. So in these next few moments, as we sing about your goodness, may you wash the fact that there is no condemnation for those in Christ over our minds. We ask this, Jesus, in your name. Amen.